Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 47 of the show. It's another good episode for you. We have crowned a Stanley Cup champion this past week. The NBA Finals are about halfway over. It's been an entertaining series so far. And then, of course, we have another major championship on the PGA Tour, which just so happens to be my favorite. So it's a good episode for you, lots to get into. And we'll start off in that PGA Tour. And we'll recap last week's tournament, which was the John Deere Classic. That was held at TPC Deer Run, which is in Silvis, Illinois. It was a par 71. Distance was 7,268 yards. This event was a COVID casualty last year. Uh, did not get played. Hasn't been played since 2019. And uh, the course itself was is pretty nice. Uh, it's There's there's a couple spots where you can get uh, birdies in, in bunches. And um, it was pretty nice. But the, the field of players in this tournament was absolutely atrocious. Uh, most of the top-ranked guys in the world were already overseas in the UK playing in the Scottish Open and uh, getting ready for this weekend's Open Championship that we'll get into here in a minute. But uh, there were 15 golfers in this John Deere Classic field that were eligible to compete in the Open Championship. Only a few of them or a handful of them are making the trip over there. But uh, my picks to click, I you know, I, I mentioned last week that the field was so bad I didn't want to make any, but uh, I still did. And the, we'll get into those in a minute, but you know, um, the, when it was all said and done, Lucas Glover was your winner at 19 under par. And he's been a winner on the tour before, but it's been over 3000 days since his last victory on tour, which is a long, long time. Uh, Glover played pretty good golf. His first and third rounds were only a combined four under. Uh, but he did most of his damage in the second and fourth rounds where he went 15 under combined in those rounds. So uh, Friday's second round, he went eight under 63. So he really kind of picked it up a notch on Friday. But he uh, he was your winner by two shots over Ryan Moore and Kevin Na, who both finished T2 at 17 under par. Now, Ryan Moore was pretty consistent across the board in all four rounds. He shot a 65, 66, and a pair of 68s, which was good enough to grab a T2 finish. Kevin Na was also consistent. He opened with a 4-under 67, followed that up with a pair of 5-under 66s, and then closed with a 3-under 68, which was his worst round of the tournament, but still good enough for a T2. Uh, there was a four-way tie for fourth uh, at 16 under par, which was one shot back of Moore and Na and three shots back of Glover. The four golfers that were uh, tied at 16 under par were Adam Shank, Luke List, 
Scott Brown, and Sebastian Munoz. Now with Adam Schenk, he opened and closed Thursday and Sunday's rounds with a 4-under 67, and then sandwiched a 7-under 64 and a 1-under 70 in between those, which was good enough for 16-under. Now Luke List, he came out with a 5-under 66 and followed that up with an 8-under 63 to actually take the 36-hole lead. So Luke List was the leader after Friday's round heading into the weekend, but then came out, shot a disappointing even par round of 71 on Saturday and only managed a 3-under 68 on Sunday. So he had he had the tournament in his hands and um, came out flat on Saturday, but still good enough for a T4. Now Scott Brown, he uh, opened on Thursday and closed on Sunday with a pair of 2-under 69s and then shot a 4-under 67 and an 8-under 63 to get into that top five. Um, not really a big-name golfer there as well. And then Sebastian Munoz. He's one of these guys that just kind of randomly shows up, plays really well in, in weird tournaments, and this was that occasion. He actually opened with an 8-under 63 and followed that up with a pair of 4-under 67s, and he was your 54-hole leader after Saturday's round. And then he came out flat on Sunday, firing an even par round of 71 to just drop a few spots back on the leaderboard to T4. I mentioned my picks to click. I did make some. Uh, the first one I gave you for this um, John Deere Classic was Russell Henley. Uh, he came in ranked number 54 in the world, and he had a chance to win the U.S. Open a few weeks ago before uh, blowing it in that final round. But um, he finished T13 at the U.S. Open, T19 at the Travelers. So I, he was a runner-up here at this tournament back in 2019, the last time it was played. So I like for him to come out, play well, and he did. He shot 14 under par, which was T11. So uh, he was definitely a click there at T11. He shot four different scores. He had a 66, a 67, a 68, and a 69 throughout the weekend. And that was good enough for a T11 and, of course, a click there. My second pick to click was Sung J M. Came in ranked number twenty-seven in the world, which was the highest rank, second highest ranked golfer in the field this week. He came off a T eight at the Rocket Mortgage Classic the week before last, and where he had all four rounds uh, sub seventy. So I liked for him to come out and uh, and and at least click for me in this lackluster field of players. But he only could manage an eight under par, which was T forty seven. Now, the interesting thing about this is that Sung J.M. shot 68, 67, and 69 uh, in his first three rounds to be in contention, okay? He, he was sitting at, um, what is that, 3, 4, 7, 8, 9. Yeah, he was at 10 under par or 9 under par heading into um, that final round, 9 under par, and uh, which was, he wasn't really in the contention to win per se, uh, but he was in contention for uh, at least a, a finish inside the top 25 and then came out on Sunday, just completely collapsed with a one-over round of 72 to drop him all the way down to T47. He was actually three-over at one point. He triple bogeyed, I think it was the 11th hole or 12th hole. He had a triple bogey seven on that, which really kind of just sank his ship. He did manage to get a couple birdies after that that brought him back down to plus one on the day, but 
uh, just a just a putrid tournament for Sung JM. Uh, my so I missed on him. My final pick to click was Daniel Berger. He came in ranked number sixteen in the world, which is the highest ranked golfer in that John Deere Classic field. So I thought, okay, well, just based on ranking, you know, I mean, Berger has been super consistent over these last couple months. His last ten starts, he had a win and three other top ten finishes to go along with seven top 20 finishes in his last 10 starts. So I like, he's been super consistent. And in this field of players that is just absolutely awful, I've thought that Berger was going to be a shoe-in for a top 25 finish. He did shoot 10 under par, which was T34. So he did not click for me. And, you know, Berger just felt like he was stuck in neutral all weekend. Uh, He was at five under heading into the weekend and then shot five under over both weekend rounds to get to that 10-under score. But in a very subpar field of players, this was just a very disappointing finish for Berger, who uh, makes the trip over to England, which is where we pick up uh, this weekend's tournament, which is the Open Championship. It is the fourth and final major championship of the year, and it is held at the Royal St. George's Golf Club, which is in Sandwich, England. It's a par 70, and this week it's going to play at 7,189 yards. This is my favorite golf tournament of the year. A lot of people like the Masters the best. I like the Masters, but the Open Championship uh, is my absolute favorite golf tournament of the year. I love the link-style courses, and I something special about uh, waking up super early to watch these guys play uh, in the UK. Um, it's just, it's one of a kind. It's the only tournament that you really do that. And um, it was not played last year because of the pandemic. It was the only major that wasn't played. Uh, but it was played in 2019, a couple years ago, at Royal Portrush, which is in Northern Ireland. And the hometown Irishman Shane Lowry was your winner in that tournament and threw quite the party afterwards. But uh, this is the 15th Open Championship to be held at the Royal St. George's Golf Club, and it's the 149th overall Open Championship. So it's one of the older tournaments uh, to be played, maybe the oldest, and it rotates between you know five or six courses between uh, Ireland, Scotland, and England. And uh, this year it's at Royal St. George's, which is in England, And uh, it's the first time that the Open Championship has been to Royal St. George's since 2011. But it's the 15th trip here. And this course, Royal St. George's, is known for its um, just rumpled and undulating terrain. Basically, there's not a whole lot of flat spots. If you've seen pictures of this course uh, thus far uh, during the week or uh, have looked up this course, even if you haven't, Google it, you'll be able to see just how rugged this course really is. There's not a whole lot of flat spots. I think the only flat spots on the course are the greens, which might not even be that flat. But this causes, obviously, a lot of unpredictable bounces. There's some very deep bunkers on this course. And the whole course itself is seaside in England. So uh, there's going to be a lot of wind, uh, probably some rain, I'm guessing, at some point. Uh, just like we see every year at the Open, it's it's cloudy, overcast, kind of chilly. Uh, that that plays into why I love this tournament so much. It's just if you've been to 
Ireland, Scotland, England, anywhere over there, you know the weather is not great, even in the summer. Uh, it's drizzly, it's cool, it's overcast, and uh, that makes it challenging for the golfers, not to mention that these link-style courses are very, very uh, hilly, they're not flat, and uh, it's it's definitely uh, quite the tournament to watch. Like I said, my favorite one throughout the year. Several big storylines coming into this one. Uh, John Rahm is looking to become the seventh golfer ever to win the U.S. Open and the Open Championship in the same year. And with the way he's been playing lately, you got to believe his name is going to be up there on Sunday. More on Rahm in a minute. Louis Oosthuizen, he's trying to avoid becoming the first golfer since the year 2000 to finish runner-up in two, uh, three straight majors. Rather, He finished runner-up in the PGA Championship and runner-up at the U.S. Open a few weeks back, a month or so ago. So he uh, is trying to win this. He is a former Open champion, Louis Oosthuizen. Uh, so he's trying to put a one next to his name instead of a two or a T2, as he's done in uh, two straight majors. Bryson DeChambeau, he is going to be debuting his new caddy. As you recall, uh, the week of the Rocket Mortgage Classic, a couple weeks ago, he let his caddy go. This past week, he hired a new one. His name is Brian Ziegler. He is a golf professional here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, which is where Bryson lives. So he is going to make his caddy debut for Bryson DeChambeau in a major championship. No pressure on him. Phil Mickelson, he was the runner-up here at Royal St. George's back in 2011 at the Open, and he's looking to continue his major mojo, and he won the PGA Championship a couple months ago at Kiowa Island, becoming the uh, oldest major champion. But uh, that's not it. There have been a lot of withdrawals this week. Um, Some notable withdrawals are Hideki Matsuyama, who said he hasn't had time to practice since he tested positive for COVID, so he didn't want to come out uh, without full practice. Bubba Watson was in close contact to a COVID-positive person this past week, so he had to withdraw. Zach Johnson, former Open champion, he tested positive for COVID, so he had to withdraw. Matthew Wolf withdrew. Uh, Sung J M has also withdrawn along with Siwoo Kim. Uh, Both of those guys have a lot riding on the Olympics, so they're taking time to uh, prepare for the Olympics here in a couple of weeks. And then Kevin Na had a good week. uh, That uh, T2 finish this past week at the John Deere Classic decided just to not make the trip over to Europe, so he is going to be out. Uh, There's been several. I think there's been about 13 total withdrawals this week. Uh, but those are some of the bigger names that you would recognize. So, Rick's picks to click for the 149th Open Championship. The first one I'll give you, we got some heavy hitters in this one. It's Jordan Spieth. He's ranked number 23 in the world. He won this thing back in 2017 at Royal Birkdale, and he always plays well in this tournament. Even the last couple years when he was kind of slumping, uh, he always, both years, well, it wasn't played last year, but even at Royal Portrush in 2019, he played pretty well. Uh, this The link style courses just seem, uh, they seem to kind of suit his game, I guess. And the way he's been playing this year, has it's been nothing short of outstanding, Jordan Spieth. So in Spieth's last 13 starts, 
He's only finished outside the top 19 twice, which is a T30 and a T48. So in those same 13 starts, um, he's got 11 top 19 finishes. And he's got a win and six top five finishes in that 13-start stretch. So he's coming into this tournament playing the best golf he's been playing since 2017 when he won this thing uh, and a couple of major championships that year. But Spieth is back, and this is his tournament that he always plays well in. So give me Jordan Spieth to compete for a victory this week. My second pick to click is Brooks Kepka. He's number eight in the world. And quite simply, it's a major championship. That's really all that's necessary to explain why Kepka is one of my picks to click. Uh, in his last four starts, he hasn't played a whole lot here lately, but he uh, has played in both the PGA Championship and the U.S. Open, which are included in his last four starts. He has three finishes inside the top five in those last four starts with a T2 at the PGA Championship and a T4 at the U.S. Open. And he was in contention on Sunday for both of those major championships. The dude is just built for these major championships. Uh, the Open is kind of a tricky one for him. doesn't really suit his style as well as it does other players, but it's Brooks Kepka. He's going to be near the top of the leaderboard on Sunday. Uh, we will definitely keep an eye on that because he is uh, he's only won the US Open and the PGA. He's not won the Open yet. He does not have a Claret Jug, which is awarded to the winner of the Open, so Kepka certainly wanting to get his hands on that. My final pick to click is John Rahm. He's ranked number 2 in the world. I just talked about him as a storyline looking to become the first golfer in 21 years to uh, win both the US Open and the Open Championship. And not counting his withdrawal at the Memorial Tournament, which he had a six-shot lead after the third round before testing positive for COVID. He would have won that tournament, hands down. Uh, so not counting that withdrawal, he hasn't finished any worse than eighth in his last three starts, which includes the U.S. Open victory and a solo seventh last week at the Scottish Open. He's in complete control of all facets of his game right now, and he leads the tour in adjusted scoring, and he's second on tour in strokes gained tee to green. So I would certainly look for John Rahm to be in contention this week. Um, you know, he's all three of my picks, I think, are going to finish inside the top 25. I, you know, obviously I'm picking them for a reason, but I really do believe that all three of those picks, Spieth, Kepka, and Rahm, We'll all finish inside that top 25. But I will be tuned in all weekend to this thing, uh, starting early Thursday morning and going through Sunday uh, morning slash afternoon when this thing wraps up here locally in the U.S. But uh, again, my favorite tournament of the year. I'm sure you guys will probably tune into it as well, at least you golf fans. So uh, we'll have plenty to discuss on next week's episode after this tournament gets, gets done. But we'll move on to the National Hockey League, and we'll wrap up the Stanley Cup Finals. Last week's episode, we had made it through the first four games of this series, with Tampa Bay having a 3-1 series lead, as the Montreal Canadiens had won Game 4 to avoid the sweep. So we'll pick it up in Game 5. Now, remember, my prediction for the Stanley Cup Finals was the Tampa Bay Lightning winning it in six games. So Game 5... This was actually a really low-scoring game. 
In fact, the first and only goal of the game was scored just over halfway through the second period by none other than Ross Colton. I had never heard of the dude until uh, that game, and Tampa Bay just continues to find role player after role player that steps in and contributes uh, in big games. That is what the Lightning have done. Of course, they have elite star power across their lineup, but they do have a lot of good role players as well. Now, Ross Colton's goal uh, was the only goal of the game, and Andre Vasilevsky, the goalie for the Tampa Bay Lightning, stopped all 22 Montreal shots to earn his fifth consecutive series-clinching shutout, which is just outrageous. Uh, the Lightning won the game 1-0 to nothing to clinch the series in five games and win back-to-back Stanley Cups, which was their third Stanley Cup in franchise history. The Conn Smythe Trophy winner, which is the playoff MVP, that is uh, Tampa Bay Lightning goalie Andre Vasilevsky. He won that award, becoming the first goalie since 2012 to win that award. So it had been almost a decade since we'd seen a goalie win it. And uh, he is just absolutely amazing. By far the best goalie in the league. Uh, He's big. He's athletic. um, Just fundamentally sound. And uh, like I mentioned, fifth consecutive series-clinching shutout. So that means that Vasilevsky had a shutout in all four of the playoff series clinching wins this year and then last year in the Stanley Cup finals against the Dallas Stars the game that the Lightning won the cup he had a shutout in that one so uh, the dude's just on a roll this streak is really unprecedented for a goalie but uh, for the city of Tampa Bay it is now nicknamed Champa Bay and it is because this was their third major pro sports championship in the last 282 days from the time that Tampa won the cup Uh, last week, which is the shortest time frame for three pro sports titles for a city in the last century. Of course, if you recall, the Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup in the bubble last uh, August, I believe it was. And then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl back in February over the Kansas City Chiefs. And now the Tampa Bay Lightning again just won the Stanley Cup this past week. So that's three championships since last August, and that doesn't even factor in that the Tampa Bay Rays baseball team made it to the World Series this past season. They ended up losing to the Dodgers, but nonetheless, the Rays were in the World Series, which uh, that is the city of Tampa Bay has now officially um, passed, I think, the city of Boston as the most successful sports franchise at the moment. But Uh, That's going to wrap up the hockey season this year in the NHL. It was a fantastic year, kind of weird with the division realignment. The All-Canadian division was a home run, uh, super competitive all season. Um, Just uh, pretty exciting stuff we have, though, in the NHL coming up over these next few weeks. We have the, uh, the Seattle Kraken, the new expansion team. We have their expansion draft where they're going to be picking players from Uh, all of the teams and then we have the NHL entry draft where we have it's you know the NHL draft right young players get drafted and whatnot so uh, pretty exciting few weeks coming up and then that doesn't even count free agency which we'll have some news on that here uh, and around the island shortly but what a hockey season it was 
congrats to the Tampa Bay Lightning on another successful season, winning back-to-back Stanley Cups. And uh, definitely be looking forward to these next few weeks with the, the Seattle Kraken getting their franchise started. But we'll move on to the NBA Finals. And uh, last week's episode, we had just covered the preview of the NBA Finals. The series had not gotten started at the time we recorded. Uh, we are through four games in this series currently. So we'll recap how the series has played out. I predicted that the Phoenix Suns would win the NBA Finals in six games. So let's take a look and go game by game. The first two games were in Phoenix. Uh, now, game one, last week, uh, I said that Giannis Antetokounmpo was going to miss game one. And I said that because that was reported, that he was not going to play in game one. But sports is fluid, and Giannis did, in fact, end up playing in game one. He was certainly not 100%, but I would take Giannis less than 100% over most guys at 100%. So uh, Giannis did end up getting 20 points and 17 rebounds in only 35 minutes. Chris Middleton added 29 points of his own, uh, but that was still not enough to fend off the uh, Suns who were playing on their home floor. Chris Paul dropped 32 points. Devin Booker had 27 to help carry the Suns to a 118-105 Game 1 win. Now, the Suns got some rough news after the game. They announced that uh, their forward, Dario Saric, had suffered a torn right ACL in that game. And it was going to, of course, miss the rest of the series uh, out indefinitely. So Saric is only a role player. He only averaged four and a half points per game uh, in the playoffs, but uh, he played some valuable minutes for them. So uh, with him out, we'll see how it it turns out. But game two was also in Phoenix. Uh, Good game. Went back and forth. Bucks took the lead, or rather the Bucks took the second quarter off. Uh, they only scored 16 points in the second quarter, which uh, that was too much to overcome for them because the Suns uh, just kept the pedal down. The Suns won 118 to 108, take a two nothing series lead. Devin Booker continued his hot playoff scoring, dropped 31 points. Uh, Chris Paul added 23. Miles Bridges had 27 for the Suns. And for the Bucks, Giannis's knee felt pretty good. He scored 42 points to go along with 12 rebounds in the loss. And Drew Holiday added 17, Chris Middleton with 11. So the Bucks go back home for game three and four. Uh, so game three, series shifted to the Fiserv Forum in Milwaukee. And the Bucks were up to the challenge. Uh, the Bucks took a 15-point lead into halftime, and they really never looked back. Uh, the Milwaukee pulled away in the second half. They won 120 to 100. Big win, 20-point win to bring the series to two to one. Uh, Giannis just went nuclear again: 41 points, 13 rebounds, and in doing so, he became the second player. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal was the other. Uh, They are the only two players to get back-to-back 40-point, 10-rebound games in NBA Finals history. So pretty elite company there. Drew Holiday added 21 for Milwaukee. And on the Phoenix side, Devin Booker and Chris Paul, they only combined for 29 points between the both of them in the Suns' loss. So they still scored 100 points, even with Booker and Paul only combining for 29. But that's a problem. Uh, because they both usually hit that number by themselves. So uh, that was that was the, probably the reason why the Suns lost that game. 
Now, game four, this was probably the best game of the series uh, up to this point. The Suns had a lead late in the fourth quarter, but the Bucks came surging back. Uh, they ended up getting a big block from Giannis Antetokounmpo on DeAndre Ayton. Ayton was going up for a slam dunk. Giannis comes uh, basically from several feet away, jumps up and meets uh, Ayton at the backboard, blocks the uh, sh- blocks the dunk. Bucks were up by two at that point, and they take it down and score to extend their lead instead of having a tie game. So huge block by Giannis, uh, and they were able to turn that into a 109-103 win to even the series at two games apiece. Uh, Giannis and Chris Middleton combined for 66 points, 40 of which came from Chris Middleton. Huge game for Middleton. And then on the Phoenix side, Devin Booker had 42 points for the Suns uh, in the loss. And in doing so, scoring those 42 points, Devin Booker set the record, NBA record, for the most points ever scored in a player's first career postseason. Uh, so he has really uh, taken off uh, in these playoffs, Devin Booker, really blossoming into an elite superstar, uh, one of the best pure scorers in the game. So he was not the issue for the Suns. Chris Paul was. Uh, he was nowhere to be found. He had 10 points and led the team with five turnovers out of the 17 turnovers that Phoenix had. So it was not a good night. It was a horrid night for Chris Paul. Uh pretty much why the Suns lost this game because Chris Paul did not contribute on either end but as it sits now four games into the series it's tied two to two so it's a best of three series at this point and uh, the Suns have home court advantage game five will be back in Phoenix game six will be in Milwaukee and then if necessary game seven will be back in Phoenix I believe so Uh, We'll see uh, who's going to come out on top. I predicted the Suns in six. That would mean that the Suns have to win the last two games uh, or the next two games of the series to do that. But either way, it's been a fantastic series. Two great teams duking it out. And uh, with two days rest in between games, uh, we'll have to see. uh, Next week's episode, we should be able to discuss the NBA champion. I think the series will be over by next week's episode. But stay tuned on that. And... um, Looking forward to a a good last, potentially, three games of this series here. But move over to Major League Baseball. We'll do a standings update. We are officially at the All-Star break as of this recording, so these standings are current as of the All-Star break. And uh, we'll have more on the All-Star game and how that turned out uh, in Around the Island, but we'll uh, we'll just start off with the... uh, do a standings update here. We'll start off in the National League. The National League East, the New York Mets are currently uh, sitting atop the division at 47-40. and 40. They uh, have a three-and-a-half game lead on the Philadelphia Phillies, who are at 44-44. and 44. They've won seven out of their last ten coming into the break. The Atlanta Braves are 44-45 and 45 in third place in the NL East, and they got some devastating news this past week. Uh, outfielder uh, all-star, one of the best players in the league, outfielder Ronald Acuna Jr. Tore his right ACL in a game this past week, and he's obviously going to miss the remainder of the season. That is going to all but eliminate the Braves from contention, I do believe. 
Uh, you can't lose your best player uh, and still uh, compete at a high level, I suppose. They're four games back of the Mets, so they're still in it, but uh, you lose Acuna Jr., and that's a big piece of your team. Fourth place in NL East, the Washington Nationals at 42-47. and 47. They've lost four in a row coming into the break. And then last place in the NL East, Miami Marlins at 39-50. and 50. The National League Central, Milwaukee Brewers have a uh, lead, a four-game lead in that division at 53-39. and 39. Now, they came into the break on a three-game skid as well, but they still have a four-game lead over the Cincinnati Reds. Who are 48 and 42. They've won eight out of their last 10 coming into the break, three in a row, looking pretty good at the right time. The Chicago Cubs, they uh, were on a bit of a skid. They're 44 and 46. They've only won twice out of their last 10. Uh, they're eight games back of Milwaukee, four games back of Cincinnati. They have the same record as the fourth place St. Louis Blue or St. Louis Cardinals rather uh, at 44 and 46. Last place in the NL Central is the Pittsburgh Pirates, 34 and 56. They are uh, pretty much eliminated from contention at this point. The National League West, uh, the best division in baseball. San Francisco Giants entered the break at 57 and 32, winning four in a row. They have a two-game lead on the Los Angeles Dodgers at 56 and 35. San Diego Padres are uh, four games back of the Dodgers, six games back of the Giants at 53 and 40. Colorado Rockies, the All-Star Game hosts, they are fourth in the NL West at 40 and 51. And the Arizona Diamondbacks are the worst team in baseball at 26 and 66, going absolutely nowhere. In the American League East. Uh, on the American League side, American League East, Boston Red Sox, 55-36. and 36. They have a one-and-a-half game lead on the Tampa Bay Rays at 53-37. and 37. Toronto Blue Jays, third place at 45-42. and 42. They're eight games back of the Red Sox, but uh, they, uh, they, have, they had four All-Stars. Three of them started, uh, including the All-Star Game MVP that we'll get into here in a minute. But uh, they're a good team. I... I I like the Blue Jays a lot. I think they're going to turn it around. The Yankees uh, are 46-43. and 43. And then last place in the AL East, the Baltimore Orioles at 28-61. and 61. The American League Central, the red-hot Chicago White Sox, lead the division by eight games. They're 54-35. and 35. They've won five in a row heading into the break. They have an eight-game lead over the Cleveland Indians, who are 45 45- and 42. They had won three in a row coming into the break. Now, the Indians, I don't know how uh, they're even at 45 wins. They got no hit for the third time this season. Now, granted, it was only a seven-inning game, and it was a team effort uh, by the Tampa Bay Rays to no-hit them. It wasn't one pitcher, but the other two were full nine-inning games by one pitcher. They got no hit by the White Sox, Carlos Rodon, Cincinnati Reds, Wade Miley, and then Tampa Bay Rays, team collective uh, no-hitter. So the Indians are, are not a good team. Their run differential is minus 16, yet somehow they're in second place in the AL Central. 
The Detroit Tigers are third at 40 and 51. They're 15 games back of the White Sox. Uh, also, Minnesota is 15 games back. The Twins are 39 and 50. They have won four in a row, though, coming into the All Star break. And last place in the AL Central, the Kansas City Royals at 36 and 53. Lost four in a row coming into the break. In the American League uh, West, the Houston Astros sit atop that division at 55 and 36. They've won seven out of their last 10. The Oakland A's are three and a half games back of the Astros at 52 and 40. The Seattle Mariners are 48 and 43. Three and a half games back of the A's, seven games back of the Astros. The Los Angeles Angels, 45 and 44. They're in fourth place. They've won seven out of their last ten. Now the Angels, Shohei Otani. This guy is a—he's just a monster. He hit his 32nd home run of the season earlier this week, which uh, broke Hideki Matsui of the New York Yankees' uh, record for the most home runs by a Japanese player in a season. And then he went on to hit another home run this week to put him at 33 home runs at the All-Star break, which is just absolutely unbelievable. If you recall back in the mid-2000s when Hideki Matsui had 32 home runs for the Yankees, that was over the course of a full season. Shohei Otani has 33 home runs at the All-Star break, which is uh, which is just absurd. Uh, and, and he still pitches, too. Otani's a starting pitcher. Now, I read a report about Shohei Otani, and it was per Buster Olney of ESPN, who's a baseball insider. He spoke to Angels batting coach Jeremy Reed, who said that Shohei Otani has not taken batting practice at all this year. Uh, that's simply unbelievable. Uh, the dude is just an absolute machine, uh, just one of a kind. Uh, but last place in the AL West, the Texas Rangers at 35 and 55. Uh, coming in losing two in a row. Uh, I hope they do not trade Joey Gallo, but he seems to be a hot topic of discussion on the trade market. But uh, just a quick peek at if the season ended today at the All-Star break, what the playoff matchups in baseball would be. On the American League side, the top-seeded Chicago White Sox would play the winner of the matchup between the four-seed and the five-seed, which are the Tampa Bay Rays and the Oakland A's. And then on the bottom half of that bracket, the Houston Astros would play the Boston Red Sox. So it would be a couple of pretty good matchups there. In the National League side, top-seeded San Francisco Giants would play the winner of the matchup between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Diego Padres. That would be a barn burner of a series there. The bottom half of the bracket, the number two seed Milwaukee Brewers would play the number three seed New York Mets. So that is how the playoff matchups look right now if the season were to end at the All-Star break. But luckily for us, it does not. And we still have uh, another roughly 70 to 80 games to play in the baseball season. So keep an eye on that. Like I said, we're currently at the All-Star break. The uh, season will pick up here uh, this week, and we'll have more on that to come in next week's episode. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. That's where we do some quick news topics from all of the various sports. Start off in the National Hockey League. 
Uh, reports have surfaced that St. Louis Blues forward Vladimir Tarasenko has officially requested a trade from St. Louis. Now, there's been a list kind of circulating that he's kind of narrowed it down to 10 teams that he would accept a trade to. Uh, Tarasenko is a great scorer. He would be, uh, he's a top six forward on any team in the league, including Tampa Bay, which is one of the teams he'd prefer. Uh, They just simply don't have any cap room. But uh, yeah, I, I hope Tarasenko leaves the Blues and goes to either the Eastern Conference or a team that is not in the Central Division. I'm tired of the Dallas Stars having to face Tarasenko multiple times a year. So uh, I would love for the Stars to get him, but I do not believe that the Stars are on that list of 10 teams for Tarasenko. But interesting to see where he ends up. There was a uh, trade between the Chicago Blackhawks and the Edmonton Oilers. The Chicago Blackhawks have traded their... 38-year-old former Norris Trophy-winning all-star defenseman Duncan Keith to the Edmonton Oilers in exchange for Caleb Jones and a conditional third-round pick in the 2021 NHL draft set to take place in a couple of weeks. Now, Keith is obviously uh, finishing up his career. He only has a few years left at most. Uh, I believe he's from Western Canada, so this trade to Edmonton uh, probably suits him very well. Uh, Chicago is uh, kind of in rebuild mode. They had a run where they they won a couple of uh, cups in a a several-year span, but uh, they are in in rebuild mode. They get Jonathan Taves back from his health issue this year, so uh, rumor is they're they're, uh, big uh, players to trade for, or to either trade for or sign Seth Jones, uh, all-star defenseman from Columbus. We'll see if that happens. But uh, keep an eye on the Blackhawks. They're going to be making moves here this offseason. The Minnesota Wild, another Central Division team. They are buying out the remaining four years of both contracts for Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter, uh, making both of those guys free agents. Now, Parisi and Suter both signed a massive uh, 10-year, $90 million contract uh, matching contracts uh, several years ago. Uh, and they just kind of have gone stale there in Minnesota. Those guys are both older players uh, towards the end of their career, kind of like Duncan Keith. It'll be interesting to see where Parisi and Suter end up because I'm sure both of them will get signed uh, as soon as free agency opens up. But the final piece of NFL news deals again with another Central Division team. This time it's the Nashville Predators. Goalie Pecorine announced his retirement from the NHL after 15 years. Uh, Pecorine is 38 years old. He spent his entire 15-year career with the Nashville Predators. He played in 683 games, finished with a career record of 369, 213, and 75. Uh, He finished with a career 2.43 goals against average, which is pretty damn good. Uh, and then 60 shutouts to go along with 17,627 saves. So not quite Hall of Fame worthy, uh, probably, but uh, certainly he is uh, on the Mount Rushmore of Nashville Predators, uh, the franchise. But uh, again, I'm glad to see him leave. He's a Central Division foe. Uh, He's kind of been a thorn uh, at times for the Stars. So uh, congrats to Rene on a good career, but uh, 
good riddance and uh, we don't have to play you anymore uh, in the Central Division. But we'll move over to the Major League Baseball. And this past week uh, was the All-Star break. And the All-Star game was uh, this past Tuesday, July 13th. It was at Coors Field in Denver, Colorado. The American League won the game 5-2. to two, And your MVP was Vlad Guerrero Jr. of the Toronto Blue Jays. He is the youngest All-Star game MVP in Major League Baseball history at 22 years and 119 days. Second closest was Ken Griffey Jr., who was 117 days older than Vlad Guerrero Jr. at the time he won All-Star Game MVP. Now, the cool storyline about this game was the fact that uh, American League player Shohei Otani of the Los Angeles Angels, he became the first Major League Baseball player to be named uh, an All-Star pitcher and a position player, and he actually started the game on the mound for the American League, ended up getting the win on record, uh, and also let off. Had two at-bats, grounded out in both of them. But um, the home run derby was Monday night, and if you watched that, that was quite the show. I love the new format of the derby. Uh, The bracket was such that there were eight guys ranked, uh, of course, one through eight. One played eight, four played five uh, on one side of the bracket. And then two played seven, three played six on the other side of the bracket. So number one was Shohei Otani. Number eight was Juan Soto. That was the best first-round matchup. It went into uh, basically double overtime before Juan Soto knocked off top-seeded Shohei Otani. The other side of that bracket, number four, Salvador Perez versus number five, Pete Alonso. Salvador Perez hit 27 home runs in the first round, but that wasn't enough because Pete Alonso had 35. Uh, just absolutely came out swinging, made it look effortless. So Alonso moved on. On the other side of the bracket, number two, Joey Gallo uh, versus number seven, Trevor Story. And the hometown Colorado Rocky Trevor Story beat Joey Gallo of my Texas Rangers by one home run in that first round to move on. The other matchup on that side was number three, Matt Olson versus number six, Trey Mancini. Trey Mancini came out on top on that, meaning that all four of the lower seeds won their first round matchups. So in the second matchup, uh, second round matchup, Pete Alonso faced Juan Soto. And uh, yeah, uh, Alonso just won again, made it look effortless. So he advanced to the final, and then uh, Trevor Story hit a disappointing 10 home runs in that second round, so Trey Mancini was easily able to advance. So your final for the home run derby was Pete Alonso versus Trey Mancini, and uh, Pete Alonso is just built for the home run derby. Uh, he lives for it. Guy worked and prepped for it really hard, and he ended up beating Trey Mancini to win back-to-back home run derby titles. Now... We didn't have a home run derby last year, so uh, Alonso is your 2019 uh, and 2021 home run derby champ. But uh, what a show those guys put on. With that thin air in Denver, those guys were hitting the ball uh, over 500 feet. It was pretty pretty cool to see. But uh, we'll go back over to the NBA. A couple of important news to, uh, topics to get into. The first one, the Orlando Magic They have hired former Dallas Mavericks assistant coach Jamal Mosley to be their new head coach. 
Uh, Mosley has spent the last seven seasons with the Mavericks as an assistant coach, and prior to that, he spent the four seasons with the Cleveland Cavaliers from 2010 to 2014, and then prior to that, from 2005 to 2010, he was with the Denver Nuggets. So uh, Jamal Mosley is a great coach. Of course, we see him here in Dallas uh, coaching the uh, Mavericks, but uh, a good good hire for the Magic. They got a good young core of players, and uh, good luck to Coach Mosley uh, after leaving the Mavericks. The other piece of NBA news deals with Los Angeles Clippers star Kawhi Leonard. If you recall, he missed most of the Western Conference Finals due to a knee injury. Well, it was announced this past week that he underwent surgery to repair a partially torn ACL in his right knee. So that would be the reason that he did not play, which is a huge injury. That is going to keep him out uh, for probably the start of next season because we're already in July Next season's probably going to start uh, in late October like it normally does. And, um, yeah, so it, keep an eye on that because Kawhi Leonard is uh, he's in an option year of his contract. He can choose to opt out of it and sign somewhere else if he'd like. So keep an eye on Kawhi Leonard. Uh, a couple of other uh, topics to get into. The ESPYs, the 2021 ESPY Awards were this past week. And I'll just go over some of the, uh, I guess, bigger ESPY awards that were announced. The uh, best team was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers of the NFL. The best championship moment, the Los Angeles Dodgers winning the World Series. Uh, The best athlete in men's sports was Tom Brady, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The best athlete... Best college athlete in women's sports was Paige Beckers of UConn. The best game was the men's NCAA Final Four matchup. Gonzaga beating UCLA 93-90 when Jalen Suggs hit that buzzer beater. The best play was Arizona Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray launching a Hail Mary to DeAndre Hopkins in the end zone against the Buffalo Bills. Best Breakthrough Athlete, LaMelo Ball of the Charlotte Hornets. Best College Athlete in Men's Sports was Devontae Smith from Alabama Football. Uh, The ESPY for the Best NFL Player is Tom Brady. Best MLB Player, Shohei Otani. Best NBA Player, Steph Curry. Best NHL Player, Patrick Kane. Don't know if I agree with that one. That is clearly Connor McDavid. Uh, the best WNBA player is Brianna Stewart. Best athlete for men's golf, Phil Mickelson. Best athlete men's tennis, Novak Djokovic. Best athlete for women's tennis, Naomi Osaka. Best MMA fighter, Habib Nurmagomedov. So those are just uh, some of the major ESPY awards that were handed out this past week. I always love the ESPY Awards, even though it's a fan vote. and They don't always get it right, but um, yeah, it was uh, pretty uh, interesting to see those ESPYs get handed out, as they always are. But the final piece of uh, news in Around the Island deals with the 2020, I guess, technically, Olympics. 
in Tokyo. The city of Tokyo announced that they are in a COVID-related state of emergency just ahead of the Olympic Games. Now, mind you, as of this recording, the Olympics are about two weeks out. So uh, coming up quick, city of Tokyo announced that spectators uh, are going to be barred from all venues at the Olympic Games, and that's due to their state of emergency with regards to COVID. So there will be no fans in attendance at any of the Olympic events, which is pretty disappointing. Uh, you know, the Olympics is, is all about competition, rooting for your country and, and, uh, the fans screaming and whatnot. So, uh, it's going to look like major championship golf, uh, last year during the pandemic and, uh, pretty quiet, pretty eerie, uh, but nonetheless, at least the Olympics are taking place. Now, with regards to the Olympics, Team USA, men's basketball, they just got done playing three exhibition games. And they lost two of them. Okay, Team USA men's basketball lost their first exhibition game to Nigeria, then proceeded to lose their second exhibition game to Australia. This was the first time they've lost back-to-back exhibition games since 1992. They were 54-2 and all-time in exhibition games coming into this year. They quickly went from 54-2 and to 54-4. and But they did beat Argentina to finish up exhibition play. So uh, Team USA basketball on the men's side is heading into the Olympics on a little skid. And there's... There's absolutely no reason for that. This team has Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard, uh, Bradley Beal, Jason Tatum, Draymond Green, uh, a team full of all-stars. They're going to get Devin Booker and Chris Middleton when the NBA Finals are over. So there's absolutely no reason that they should not win gold. But there was also not a reason that they should have lost to Nigeria and Australia. So uh, keep an eye on that. Uh, USA is obviously the heavy favorite to win gold, so... We'll have to see on that, but uh, either way, the Olympics are ready to get going, and uh, that's always an exciting time. But uh, that is going to wrap up the 47th episode of the Sports Island Podcast. Hope you all enjoyed that one. Uh, This podcast is available uh, everywhere you listen to podcasts. And, um, well, next weekend, we've now got another busy, busy week ahead of us. The NBA Finals should be wrapped up by next week's episode. We'll have a recap of the Open Championship, another major champion crowned in golf and uh we'll have some more news from the mlb as they get back going uh, again after the all-star break so stay tuned on that but until then stay safe be well and we'll catch you on sports island next week